Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. It's been a tough week. Every morning I wake up and taste the ash in the air and realize it's still smoky outside. I'm compulsively checking the air quality to see when my kids can get out to play in the backyard. We're all so cooped up right now. And California just keeps burning. Fire season isn't just a season anymore. It's our new reality, even during a pandemic, even as we reckon with systemic racism. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. On today's show, we're going to try to bring you some hopeful stories about fire, even through the smoke. We've been hearing a lot about prison fire crews battling California's wildfires, risking their lives for a few dollars a day. Once they get out, it can be a challenge finding a job fighting fires as a professional. But this week, the California legislature passed a bill that would allow incarcerated folks who sign up for prison fire crews to have some crimes expunged from their records, and that would make it easier for them to get a job on the outside. Ariella Markowitz has a story about two friends who met in a prison fire camp whose dream was to reinvent themselves and to figure out a way to help other former inmates get firefighting jobs, too. Brandon Smith is from a city nestled in the San Gabriel Mountains called Altadena. My backyard and stuff is in the mountains. I've seen fires, right, all my life, but I never knew about wildland firefighting. He remembers watching the 1991 firefighting movie Backdraft as a kid, and it did not leave a good impression. It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats. I remember being a child, you know, watching Backdraft and telling my mom, like, a firefighter is not something that I wanted to do. As a young adult, Brandon got addicted to drugs and ended up at Wasco State Prison when he was 22. He wanted to keep his head down, hopefully get a sentence reduced. Three years in, his prison counselor approached him and asked if he wanted to fight fires. So at first I said no, but like I had talked to some folks and I, I realized it was going to be like a way better situation for me, especially like while incarcerated. He wouldn't be behind four concrete walls. His family could visit him at fire camp. The food would be better. He'd make $1.65 a day, plus an extra dollar an hour during fire emergencies. It was the highest paying job, so you'd have to be like tripping to deny it, you know? And so I just took a chance. To get on a fire crew as a California inmate, you have to clear a psychological evaluation. You can't be in for something like arson, murder, or rape. Brandon qualified, and he was sent to a training camp in the Sierra. He still remembers his first fire. And we just kicked into action once that adrenaline got in, like we were working with the firefighters going to go put the fire out. He says it was a shock. But the more he worked at it, the more he learned to love how fighting fires made him feel. Being incarcerated, folks, folks don't necessarily have the best views of you out there, right? 
after finishing a 16 hour shift, right? Like riding down in the buggies and everybody's out like saying signs, like, thank you firefighters, thank you, right? And they're talking to us as well. It helped me to like reconnect back with the community and give me like a sense of a purpose. Royal Ramey has a similar story. He's from Highland, just across the valley from where Brandon grew up. He also ended up in state prison, but was transferred to Mississippi because of overcrowding. He was offered a chance to come home to California if he would fight wildland fires in remote areas. I was like, man, this is, I don't know if I could be able to do this. It was just, I'm a great winner. I can live weights, you know. When you actually like hiking hills and stuff, it's a whole different animal. <laughs> Royal and Brandon met at a fire camp in Hemet in Riverside County. They immediately clicked. They were both Sawyers, which means they were the ones in the front holding the chainsaw. And they got kind of competitive. Don't let him say he was better. I was faster on the chainsaw. We were passionate about the saw, you know, too. So we talked about, you know, different strategies. And that rivalry grew into a deep friendship. We talked about just life, trying to come out the situation, you know, with a better attitude, with a better, um, you know, position in life. Brandon was released eight months before Royal in March of 2014. Both their sentences were reduced because they worked on a fire crew. That's the first thing I told my parole officer when I came home. I'm like, hey, man, I know this may sound like a little crazy to you, but I want to be a wildland firefighter. He's like, all right, well, good luck. I spent about 18 months really working, trying to figure it out. I was going to fire stations. I was turning in applications. But he wasn't getting far. Many positions required EMT training, which is hard to get as a felon. Paid positions, not volunteer, were few and far between. And Brandon had to meet with his probation officer, so he couldn't go for opportunities more than 50 miles from Altadena. When Royal was released, he and Brandon decided to enroll in a fire academy in Victorville. It was basically like starting off at square one. But then they met a fire chief from the U.S. Forest Service who happened to be a black woman. And I remember pulling her to the side and saying, like, hey, ma'am, like, here's the situation. I just want to be up front. I've kept trying to hop into this space. Like, I, I can't find no way in. And she was like, look, if you, you know, you try your hardest, I may eventually have an opportunity. A year later, Brandon and Royal were graduating at the top of their class. At least 21 major fires raging in It was California. 2015. Fueled fires were burning across the state. So that humidity. fire chief called Royal and Brandon and recruited them to fight the, the lake fire near Big Bear. Fire crews are working to get the upper hand on the lake fire, which continues to grow in the San Bernardino National Forest. And next thing you know, we out there on the fire. And in a moment that Brandon credits to divine intervention, he and Royal ran into a prison fire crew and recognized some of the guys. Talking to the fellas, they're like, hey, my, oh my God, y'all did it, y'all, you know, y'all professional firefighters, like, what's up, what's up, help us out. Both of us knew, like, we need to go help these people out. Fighting the lake fire got them in the door. Royal got a job with the Forest Service in San Bernardino. Brandon and Sonora. Just getting to work was a struggle all on its own. It's funny because Brandon, he, this dude didn't even have a car. He didn't let nothing stop him. Like, we don't, we don't, one of the biggest things that me and Brandon, we both have in the core of our souls is that don't make no excuses for yourself. Brandon was literally getting rides from coworkers to fight fires, sometimes traveling hours each way. 
And on top of that, he was going to prison fire camps, talking to incarcerated firefighters about how to find jobs in the Forest Service. In 2015, Brandon and Royal decided to found a nonprofit organization called the Forestry and Fire Recruitment Program. They partner with local governments like LA County to give paid on-the-job training to former inmates and help with state firefighting applications. Since 2015, they've helped over 100 people find work in the Forest Service. Folks who graduated from their program are fighting the fires across California now as engineers, leading crews, and flying helicopters. But I am curious about like your feelings about having been introduced to this path while you were in prison. What are your thoughts on just like prison labor in general? Is folks getting shortchanged a little bit? I'm pretty sure, yeah. But then, you know, I, I endured what I endured and I benefit from it. And I wouldn't change nothing. You know, me personally, I wouldn't change nothing. Brandon also wouldn't change anything about his life, but he would change the system. I believe that us as a country, we have a heavy dependence on the use of incarcerated people as laborers. We get the same training out here. We get the same, if not more, experience than the firefighters out here. But when folks come home from prison or come home from these fire camps, they're not able to utilize the skills that they've learned. Brandon says the new bill headed to the governor's desk is a step in the right direction. It would allow some formerly incarcerated people to get their crimes expunged so they can be more easily hired at fire stations. It would also allow them to end parole early to actually travel to wildfires across the state. But, of course, it's just a step. With California burning the way it's burning, Brandon wants the state to do more to create a new pipeline to better support formerly incarcerated people looking to make a living wage on the fire lines. For The California Report, I'm Ariella Markowitz in Los Angeles. Incarcerated people are critical to firefighting efforts these days here in California, and so are volunteers. More than two-thirds of the nation's firefighters hold down day jobs and respond to emergencies in their local communities. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg has the story of two courageous volunteers in Napa County. An hour and a half northeast of San Francisco, multiple work crews sever blackened tree limbs at Spanish Flat Mobile Home Villa. Brandon North steps onto a concrete slab that was his home. Somewhere over here in this concrete pad, there's uh, footprints from my baby brother. He picks up a warped piece of metal. A cloud of ash settles into the imprints of two tiny feet. About a stone's throw away, Becca Brown Diener steps over a twisted birdcage on her family's property. This was my uh, twin brother's room, but now that's all gone. She tries to wave away tears. Brandon hugs her. They've been dating since high school. We would always go over to his house, play, you know, play board games, and our, our families are really close. So we did a lot of movie nights, dinner parties, camping trips. Now Becca is 23 and Brandon is 25. The young couple live together about 10 minutes up the road. They're campground hosts on Lake Berryessa, and they're trained as firefighters. As a volunteer, Brandon doesn't have to respond to every emergency page he receives, but he always does. I feel obligated um, 
if you're able to go, you should go. Whether it's small or big, to whoever called, that's the worst day of their life. A few weeks ago, Brandon and Becca were asleep in their small white trailer when a lightning storm exploded in the sky. I'm terrified of lightning, so I was just kind of videotaping it, and I woke him up, and I was just recording it. And the radio started going crazy. We did have a couple small fires start. Becca and Brandon headed to the fire station. It was the first time Becca answered a call that wasn't a medical emergency. By the afternoon, the small fires had turned into infernos. Seeing fire for the first time like that, I was terrified. Walls of flame, 100 feet high, swept over ridges. Becca jumped on an engine, and Brandon headed to the front line. The next day, flames swept down the grassy hill toward Lake Berryessa. Brandon and Becca spent all day and all night cutting back brush and tree limbs and saved the campground. At dawn, they celebrated. So I was excited because I like fighting fire. But then when it started to get into housing areas and stuff, the excitement went away and more of uh, anger started to set in, I guess. The next night, he fought the fire at the mobile home park where he and Becca grew up and where their families still live. It was hard seeing this place burning down and just trying to do my job at the same time. When I came here, everything was fully engulfed. As white, hot fire incinerated trailers, Brandon helped the few remaining residents to flee. They were people he'd known his whole life. After everyone escaped, he climbed into his truck and called Becca to tell her their family's homes were gone. My heart broke. Um, I just felt devastated and hopeless. I didn't know what really to do. And then when I came home, it was kind of safe where our trailer is. Came in, she was sitting there crying, and I was holding her hand and kind of already on a knee. So I was like, well, it's in my pocket. He's talking about the ring. He grabbed it to make sure it didn't burn. She's a mess. Might make her feel better. Finally, he asked me to marry him. (laughs) He wasn't planning on popping the question, nor did they have time to digest the big news. They continued to fight the fire for two more weeks. Brandon says he slept about eight hours in the first seven days. Now, they're helping their families resettle outside of California. Becca would love to go, too. But Brandon shakes his head. Not only is this home... I guess a callous way of saying it, this is where the action is, so it's where I want to be. They hope to celebrate their engagement before the next wildfire strikes Northern California. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg in Napa County. Even if you're not directly in the path of a wildfire, you've probably been smelling and breathing the smoke that's been blanketing so many parts of our state. And as we've seen with the COVID pandemic, place and race both play a role when it comes to who's affected most by bad air. We're going to head to a neighborhood in the Solano County city of Vallejo now to meet an 11-year-old girl with asthma. It feels like my lungs are like just closing up. Her name is Takira Danette Bird, and it turns out that the place where she lives is bad for her health for all kinds of reasons. And as reporter Lee Romney tells us, these recent fires are just the latest to tax her young lungs. 
Takira lives with her mom and two brothers at the Marina Vista Apartments, a low-income housing development of blocky two-story buildings in downtown Vallejo. Public health experts say it's one of the most unhealthy neighborhoods in the state. Takira was diagnosed with asthma when she was five. Her first big health crisis came three years later. Well, that day when I was having an asthma attack, we started when we were like, I was really, really sick. Takira managed to fall asleep, and in the middle of the night, she says, her cat woke her mom up, yowling. Because I guess, like, my face was all purple and stuff, and I couldn't breathe. Her mom, Shantira Dalton, ran into the living room where Takira sleeps. When I looked at her face, her face was all blue, and I hurry up and put the treatment on her. I immediately rushed her to the hospital that night. They immediately gave her, put a bunch of helium and oxygen at the same time. Takira is thin and lithe, like a blade of wild grass swaying in the wind. She tends to put a positive spin on things, even that emergency treatment of Heliox, which doctors save for the most serious cases. I was put on that for an hour, and then it was kind of getting frustrating being on that for an hour because I couldn't even talk because my mom couldn't understand me because the thing was on my mouth and on my nose. So then it made me feel like, it made me um, sound like a squeaky mouse. Days later, Takira went home with a bunch of new prescriptions. But her records show her mom would run out of key maintenance meds over the next few years, partly because of hitches with her Medi-Cal. That's just one example of how wealth can impact health. Gaps in Takira's treatment made controlling her asthma harder, and she landed back in the ER again and again. Leave your homes. Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, mandatory evacuation order. Leave your homes. Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. That's a deputy's body cam from the October 2017 Tubbs fire. It raged through Sonoma and Napa counties. In the year after that fire, Takira was rushed to the emergency room with bad asthma attacks every three to four months. Not on the days when the smoke was at its worst, but after. I asked Dr. John Balms about this. He's a UC professor of medicine and environmental health sciences who studies the impact of air pollution on kids. Based on what we know from outdoor air pollution and about asthma biology in general, the effects can be cumulative. There's a lot we still don't know about the long-term health effects of wildfire smoke, but a recent Stanford University study showed potentially lasting damage to the immune systems of kids who'd been exposed to fire smoke. And an investigation by Reveal for the Center for Investigative Reporting found a spike in ER visits for lung and heart ailments for kids and adults months after the Tubbs fire. And the fires just keep coming. Schools all around Northern California are closed and people are being told to stay indoors as smoke from the deadly Camp Wildfire continues to drift south. The 2018 Camp Fire destroyed the Butte County town of Paradise. And three months after that, Takira was back in the hospital, working very hard to breathe, her medical notes say, unable to hold a long conversation. I was scared because I had to get an IV 
and I don't like IVs, but I have to put an IV. They always put it in the same arm, but then this one, you know, I scared, so she took her time putting the fluid all the way in. Takira put on a brave face about that IV and about the ambulance ride when she was transferred to the pediatric ICU in Oakland a little while later. Can we recover? Will the world ever be a place of peace and harmony? Her mom, Shantiera, is a singer, and Takira says during that time in ICU... She just, like, sometimes just sing. Especially during mom's long overnight stays next to her daughter. It was like a little couch that lets out to a bed. Mom says these hospitalizations have been terrifying. I just remember crying a lot because they kept coming in in the room doing extra stuff to her. One thing you should know, black kids like Takira are disproportionately affected by asthma. They're more likely to be hospitalized for it and even to die from it, especially in low-income neighborhoods like hers, where more black people live than anywhere else in Vallejo. That's because they're often more exposed to air pollution from industry and freeway soot. But Dr. Baum says also... Discrimination, uh, poor housing, um, poverty crime, negative aspects of neighborhoods such as noise, garbage. So wildfire smoke, he says? Is likely to differentially impact kids in these neighborhoods. During every wildfire, Takira's mom says she follows public health advice to keep windows and doors closed. But that only helps if they keep the smoke out. Marina Vista's oldest apartment buildings were built about 50 years ago. And about a half a dozen residents, including Shanchera, told me the smoke comes right in through the flimsy windows. It got a lot of aluminum windows. I feel like we need double-painted windows or something. Last fall's fires landed Takira back in the hospital yet again. I'm ABC 7 News meteorologist Mike Nico. Welcome to our 18th consecutive Spare the Air Day. Let's show you what's And these going latest on. fires, sparked by lightning in a ring around the entire Bay Area, have driven millions of people to shelter indoors. About a week into the bad air days, I dropped by to check on Takira and her mom. Shantiera says she's been stressed. Very, very, very worried. <laughs> she's hopeful, though, that her daughter's drugs are helping. The steroids that they have been giving her expanded her lungs, maybe. Still, to be cautious, they've been taking refuge at Shantiera's mom's in Contra Costa County. Even though outside air quality there has been lousy, too, her place has better windows and doors. She lives in a two-story, so it's like a lot more space for her. And when you enter in her house, it's just pure, clean, <laughs> clean air. So yeah. Asthma has been part of Takira's life for years now. Inhaling that tiny, harmful particulate matter from wildfire smoke, that's just one of her many triggers. But it's joined the list of forces outside her control that cause her anxiety. I worry about fires a lot. Like, even today, I'm kind of still worried about fire. During my last visit, Takira is quiet. She says she feels fine. But a few minutes later, when I'm sitting in my car, my phone rings. It's Shantiera. She says Takira just told her that her chest has been hurting at night. She's been keeping it to herself because she's worried about going back to the hospital. For the California Report, I'm Lee Romney in Vallejo.
One of the fires that's been burning in San Mateo and Santa Cruz counties has scorched California's first state park, Big Basin. Nearly all of the park's historic buildings have been lost. But the good news is many of its enormous old-growth redwoods are expected to survive. Those giant trees have inspired lots of folks in different ways. Listener Tom Taylor composed this piece of music called Big Basin Breakdown as an ode to the park. Shortly after high school, my friends and I went camping to Big Basin, had a wonderful night. Unfortunately, the next day, I went home and my mom handed me my draft notice. So surprise, I had to spend a little time in the Army before going to college. But I always had such a fondness for Big Basin. What a beautiful place. Tom says his tribute to the giant trees really helped launch his career and make him the musician he is today. It did take me to Europe and beyond. I got to meet the president of Bavaria, the mayor of Munich, all sorts of dignitaries, just because of a wild night with some of my high school friends back in 1972. Tom's piece is being performed here by musicians from San Jose State with the Kronos Quartet and David Grisman on mandolin. We're going to play it for you now while other listeners share their memories of Big Basin. Hi, my name is Ariane Lozano. I was born in the Philippines and moved to the U.S. at 13. And in seventh grade, one of my teachers organized this camping trip for us. I just remember thinking to myself, getting to Big Basin, wow, I have never seen such gigantic trees. I mean, I was just in awe and stunned by how beautiful the redwoods were. My name is Kim Baker, and I worked at Big Basin Redwoods State Park as a park ranger in the early 2000s. The park has 17 or so residences uh, where staff live year-round. It's kind of a unique experience because you really form a close bond with your neighbors. We lived in the Sky Meadow neighborhood. Uh, Unfortunately, it was destroyed in the fire. It was a special place to live, especially with children. It was just a great place for the kids to be able to play. They could run freely back and forth to different houses. Everybody celebrated birthdays together. We really felt like it wasn't just us. We were part of uh, many generations of park families that had grown up in that neighborhood and a long tradition. And uh, I think a lot of people are reaching out to each other right now to console each other over the loss of of that special part of the park. Hi, this is Jessica from Pleasanton. Big Basin is just so near and dear to our family's hearts. Being Latinos and first-generation Americans, we really feel that it's important to expose our boys of color to nature, and Big Basin really played a key role in that. This was really our way of breaking social barriers and constructs for them. Growing up in the Bay Area, our mother made it a point to take us on hikes, which is really remarkable, being that it was something she really didn't do growing up in an impoverished Nicaragua. And Big Basin has really helped us do that and teach our boys to respect nature, which we really hope in turn they can apply that to their fellow human. We're just so heartbroken what's happened to Big Basin due to the fires. But we also realize that this is just part of nature and it'll survive this disaster as it's done for tens of thousands of years. So I just want to say thank you, Big Basin, and I can't wait to go back.
And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our director is Amanda Font. And our technical producer is Rob Spate with additional engineering from Seal Muller. Our team also includes Kat Snow, Carly Severn, Asala Sanapur, and Ariella Markowitz. Thanks for listening and happy Labor Day. I hope you can find some blue sky out there somewhere. I'm Sasha Koka. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh. And tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.